It's Rainforest Mind with me, Casper Thompson. It's 2019 and this is the first podcast of the year. I um, I was quite nervous when I sat down to record this podcast. Stage fright. I recognise it from my old drama days. But what I realised this morning is that there's actually two different parts that get activated when I come to do something like this. And one part is the wanting to do a good job part. And actually, that doesn't bring many nerves with it at all. It sort of keeps me, enough to keep me alert, but not enough um, to make me feel uncomfortable. The part that really brings us straight stage fright is the wanting you to have a good experience listening Part, which of course is out of my hands. I get to have some influence over the do a good job bit, but not over the how you receive it bit. So that was good to notice. I also inadvertently um, had the wrong microphone selected when I tried to record this earlier this morning. So Let's treat that as a dress rehearsal. I didn't have any notes for what I wanted to say. I just had suddenly had inspiration this morning. And um, actually, it's quite good to run through my thoughts before. So I'm not too upset about that. But glancing at the screen, I can see the green lines going up and down, suggesting there is something happening, which is great. So... This year I am doing a training in wild therapy, deepening my experience of outdoor practice. I already do some client work outside. The Morven Hills are a great resource to use to go into. Um, Maybe I'll talk a little bit about that later. So wild therapy, wildness in the sense of complex ecosystems that don't need shepherding, that take care of themselves, that grow into better relationships with other complex ecosystems. So we can use that definition of wildness when we're talking about things like the rainforest or the wild patch at the bottom of the garden. We can also use it in terms of our own mind. How can our own minds grow to be um, all the different ecosystems, the different parts, different networks of the the grain, the brain come into better relationship with each other. And a healthy mind is a mind where we don't really, where we're not necessarily aware of the different networks or the different parts. We just experience being in flow, things working as they should be. We just sort of feel easy, natural. Um, and most of us don't have minds like that. There are various split off parts or parts doing protective roles because of particular woundings that we've had anyway. Wild mind is a mind that is like a a well-functioning ecosystem. And as part of the wild therapy training, we've been invited to sit in a place, to go outside to the same place and sit for 10 to 15 minutes every day. Some traditional cultures uh, have this as part of their spiritual practice and I'm particularly interested in it and pleased to be doing more outdoor practice. I I often go and sit outside but this is the first time I've done it 
in the same place on a daily basis. I wanted to pick on one particular thing that has been coming into my awareness the past couple of days. Of course, there's been all sorts that I've noticed. I'm usually drawn to the bird song and to watching the birds, blackbirds. We've got a pair of bullfinch, um, long-tailed tits, pigeons, crows and so on. What I've really been conscious of the past couple of days is that the garden which is where I've been sitting, is a mix of wild and cultivated. It's a mix of ordered and structured and complex. Huge swathes of lawn, which actually at first glance appear to be a monoculture. At closer inspection, there is some complexity there. There, there are different wildflowers and weeds and a couple of different kinds of moss growing through the lawn. Nettles beginning to appear in the corner. And despite that, there is still this sense of uh, things being selected to grow. The roses, the sun rose, echinacea, gerbera. Human-influenced flowers placed in a particular environment, in a particular place. And there are some corners of the garden that are more like wild ecosystems. And it's often in those corners where there is more wildlife. Overall, I'm pretty pleased with the balance in our garden, actually. And, and um, I'm enjoying having wild rabbits coming into the garden and playing, although I suspect some of that is to do with the pet rabbits that we keep. Um, springtime may be a bit of interest from the wild rabbits there, I don't know. Anyway, this mix of wild and cultivated reminded me of two experiences I had when we were away in Yorkshire that I wanted to talk about and draw out some significance of. Which And once I've talked about those two experiences, I'll talk about why I think wild practice and outdoor practice I'm using practice in the Buddhist sense the word you could just think of being outside I suppose is being so important so last year Satcha and I had a break in Haworth for a few days and at the beginning of the, was it a week, was it a few days? Anyway, at the beginning of the week, say, we walked up to Wuthering Heights across some of the South Yorkshire moors. Occasionally the sun came out and I was struck by the beauty of the moors, these wide open spaces, big skies, horizons far away, long horizons the rolling countryside, the dips into the valleys, the stone walls. But I was also struck by the bleakness of the moors, which isn't a new observation, I realise. Lots of people experience them in that way. And I wondered if that was just a sort of a, a literary accretion, you know, Wuthering Heights. It's not the most cheerful of novels, 
and um, Jamaica in, not on the same moors. It's down Exmoor, I think, Daphne de Moray's Jamaica in. Certainly down that way, Somerset, uh, Devon, who knows, somewhere down south anyway. Um, but also a bleak experience of the moors. In their popular culture, the moors are a place of hardship, of struggle, of darkness, of people um, sinking into mud and disappearing and so on and so forth. But as I observed what was around me, what came to mind was George Monbiot's description of, I think it's some of the national parks in Wales, where he was observing the ecosystem in his book Feral about rewilding and noticing that in the national parks, Snowdonia, I guess, I'd have to check the book again, that would have been a piece of research I could have done before recording this, I suppose, um, where the sheep were grazing, which is, you know, most of the national park, there wasn't really any diversity of flora and fauna in the ecosystem. It was just nibbled grass and a few scrubby trees. I think it's even the case that um, under the common agricultural policy, farmers get a subsidy for land that is available for farming, whether it's farmed or not, so there's an extra incentive to clear the land there of course that might all change with brexit we shall see anyway he realized that the place where there was the most wildlife the most diversity the most uh, wildflowers was in the verges on the side of the road before passing through the gates into the national park where there weren't so the verge of the road where there weren't any sheep eating everything down. And there were sheep grazing up on the Yorkshire moors and there wasn't any diversity of wildlife. So it was bleak in that sense. It was a, a very human-affected landscape. There were other moments on that trip that showed me the reverse of that. And actually three things come to mind. One has just come to mind as I was talking. It was on the way back. Was it the same day or a different walk that we did in the same area? Um, we passed through... We walked through a footpath. Either side of the footpath was a stone wall with fields beyond with sheep grazing beyond the water left sheep grazing beyond the water right and in this path that was probably a couple of feet wide down the side of a valley there was all sorts of things there were wild orchids there were um nettles, fruit, there was different wildflowers, different mosses, insects, uh, just a little haven of diversity, a little self-contained ecosystem, not completely self-contained, 
but a boundary ecosystem between these two stone walls that just showed how different uh, the landscape could be. If it weren't for the use that humans had put it to. We went to two nature reserves while we were up in Yorkshire. The first at Ogden Water. We went, we were up early and went first thing in the morning. It was very quiet when we arrived. There weren't any other cars in the car park. As the morning went on, a few dog walkers started to appear. It had rained overnight, so the ground was damp and there were, when the wind blew through the trees, a few drops of rain, uh, drops of rainwater that had been clinging to the leaves would fall down to the earth below. There was the big reservoir in the middle, streams leading to the reservoir, and at one point we lost the path, or we thought we were following a path, and the path petered out. And we were just in the middle of this, what felt like ancient woodland. And we sat for a moment on the damp ground. I guess we laid out our uh, cagoules on the ground. I noticed the insects flying around. I couldn't tell you what the names of them were. There was um, there was an ant's nest that looked very busy nearby. There were so many different kinds of moss, amazing variety of greens in the uh, the understory growth different species of trees. The air smelt rich, that smell of uh, really good hummus. Is that the name for it? That kind of really rich organic soil. I guess we'd been following maybe an animal track rather than a, a real track. Satya saw a deer later on, which I missed, unfortunately. And that experience, to me, felt very healing. I felt spacious, I felt grounded, I felt relaxed. I felt spacious even though I was in a more enclosed space than I had been up on the moors. I could see less sky and yet somehow there was this, ah, something relaxed in me. I think there is something profoundly healing about uh, us as human animals coming into contact with these complex ecosystem, something that feels like coming home. We create so much order and structure and uh, there's a lot of benefits to civilization. There's Some people get more benefits from it than others, of course, depending on which bit of civilization you happen to be born into. But I also think there's a great loss, a great disconnection between the parts of us that understand that we are animals, that we are birthed from these complex ecosystems, and that um, I think we're deeply nourished by complex ecosystems. 
So something profoundly healing and like a, uh, a rift being sealed occurs within me when I'm in those spaces. We also went to Hardcastle Crags and I had a similar experience there because of the, um, the complexity and the diversity of flora and fauna. Some scientists and writers, ecologists, believe that the best thing for those wild spaces is for us not to go there at all. And there's a lot of truth in that. When we go to places, human beings, we do tend to disrupt them. There's something, some impulse in us to change them or to make use of them. Or I don't know exactly what that is or where that comes from. Maybe the woundedness of feeling out of place, out of our place in the ecosystem leads to some kind of wanting to, um, you know, we end up overcompensating for that by trying to control things. Just speculating, just a thought that comes to me as I'm sitting here speaking. But we can be incredibly destructive. I was reading about Joshua Tree National Park in the States recently. There was an article in the Guardian, commenting that after the government shutdown in the States, where lots of government workers, including park rangers, weren't paid, people, some people drove into the national parks and um, knowingly or unknowingly caused trouble to those ecosystems in Joshua Tree Park is a very fragile ecosystem, just a few centimetres of soil. The trees rely, the whole ecosystem relies on just a few centimetres of soil. So when people are driving off the designated paths, they're damaging those few centimetres, such that it could take decades to recover. And thankfully, the shutdown has ended and the park ranges are back in place and they say there are some things they can do to speed that recovery along but it just shows how easy it is for us to um, upset things. I, I am curious why that ecosystem is so fragile but um, that's another story. Anyway, for me, there's something important about outdoor practice, whether it's in completely wild spaces or whether it is in these mixed spaces like the garden, the mix of wild and ordered. Because as human beings, I think there is a wounding in us around being taken out of those spaces that can be healed by returning to them. If we are, you know, there's a lot of benefits to civilization, and for many of us, civilization is untrustworthy. We experience being let down, being oppressed in various ways, being disappointed, being hurt by the system of civilization. And returning to wild places plugs us into a system that is healing, that takes care of itself, that is complex 
And somehow, for me, being in that space, it reminds me, oh, there is something trustworthy about life. There is something, maybe even benevolent, about the whole system, and particularly about these complex ecosystems. Not that individual life forms don't suffer within those places, but something about the unfolding of it seems meaningful. So having that experience is important, I think. An important healing experience. And also, the inspiration that we take from connecting to those places can lead us to change our lives in ways that are better for the planet. We are, you know, climate breakdown is a real thing. And still... We step onto our hamster wheels and go about our days in mostly the same ways. When I really experience um, the natural world, both in its amazing diversity and complexity and both when I come into contact with the fragility and the losses that we've already experienced in the natural world, it lights a fire in me to do things differently, to do something differently. This year I'm facilitating Buddhist Action Month for the network of Buddhist organisations and the theme is climate action. So if you are a Buddhist or you're connected to a Buddhist group and you want to get involved, I'll put the links in the podcast description or just search for Network of Buddhist Organisations or Buddhist Action Month. There's a Facebook group and... um, I'm going to be encouraging people during the month of June to really think about what they can do differently, either as a group or as an individual. So I'm looking forward to that. feels like a a really positive thing to be offering. As I say, uh, uh, I also do outdoor practice with my clients sometimes. If you are within travelling distance and are interested in doing some wild therapy with me, get in touch. Uh, You can find all the details at my website, kasperthompson.co.uk. That's K-A-S-P-A-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.co.uk. And uh, if you're further away and are looking for therapy, then I can work on Zoom or Skype as well, although I have to be inside to do that. Over the next few weeks, hopefully I will get some guests who have got experience or expertise in outdoor practice, as well as in the other usual areas that I am interested in exploring in this Rainforest Mind podcast, psychology, spirituality and wildness or ecology. Thanks for joining me for this first episode of 2019 and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. (music) 